Hello, everybody, or should I say the day, and welcome back to the Pixels Podcast, the podcast about all the nerdy things we love and enjoy. As always, we're your hosts. I'm Will. That's Blake. Today, we're here to talk our favorite little little piece of content, Critical Role. Our little ditty. That's right. How you doing today, my friend? I'm good. I feel like you're always more branded than me. You always have a nice little CR shirt on. This isn't a CR shirt. You freaking <laughs> I, I like usually do though, so it's just funny that like this one time I'm not I saw the top of it. I was pulling on like this, you know, latent memory of, you know, first night of Avalier shirt and then like mm. other shirts you've worn. Yeah. So I was like, Oh, it must be another CR shirt. You know what? It wasn't. You know what? I knew it wasn't. I was testing you. <laughs> I, I believe you. I, uh... I was testing you to know to see if you knew where your shirt came from. You know where your shirt is. Yeah, dude. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, not... Uh, uh, I was going to say vaguely. That's not the right word. But yeah, coincidentally, not a CR shirt today. Um, but I love my CR shirts, man. They are like some of the most comfy shirts I own. I wish That's, I could say the same for uh, GDQ shirts. Mm, yeah, you, you told me you got yours in recently. I um, like them, but they always shrink and the sizes are like never correct. Mm -hmm. Like I get a large and it's always, maybe I've gotten fatter. I don't know, (laughs) but I feel like every time I get a large from them, it's like, it's in like that, that sort of like buffer zone where you're like, do I wash this? Yeah. Cause I don't know. Yeah. I know that feeling. Hang on. This brings me to a memory. I was Uh in, you know, like when you're at like a kind of like a, it's like coffee talk or you're like at like a party and you're just like chatting with like people like in a circle, you know, it's just casual time. Yeah. Well, I was in one of these situations and this guy, you know, we're just like throwing comments around and this guy's like, he's like, dude. And he just like put it out there for everybody. He was like, almost had a serious crisis. My wife almost washed my jeans, which, you know, seems like kind of an an innocuous statement. You're just like, Oh, okay. Interesting. And so someone was like, oh, yeah, like, what do you mean? And he's like, yeah, well, I mean, they, and, you know, it was like one of those, like, designer style jeans or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so someone was like, oh, yeah, so, like, would it, like, ruin it? And he was like, oh, yeah, it would ruin it because it, like, fits me perfectly. And then someone else was like, oh, yeah, so you got to be, like, really careful, like, when you wash it. And he's like, oh, no, I don't, I don't wash it. And it's, like, one of those things where the conversation keeps going, but, like, it's, you just, like, can't let it go. So I was like, well, hang on. Are you saying you've never washed your jeans? And he was like, no, I've never washed them. And I was like, well, how long have you had them? And he's like, about two years. Bro, the conversation just kept going. How, am I the only one who thought, is this, a, is this not a thing? Like, I, I think this is weird. I've, I've heard of that. I, too, think it's weird. Like, I definitely wash jeans, like, far less frequently than, like, a different pair of pants. Because they're jeans, you know? Sure. But you still wash them, you know? I just think, like the gooch you know like at some <laughs> the, point you gotta <laughs> some printium flowers <laughs> i'm like even like hand wash right i mean yeah i i have heard that so i don't know if it's like delicate denim or like special designer denim or something but it, it felt like no one in this group was deterred by it and then you know it's one of those things like where someone says something outlandish and like it is outlandish but you look around and, and you like, start wondering like, that 
Well, you, then you're like, am I the problem? Like, am I the one? Am I stupid? <laughs> like, anyway. Are we idiots? So there's my long tangent for uh, washing jeans. Uh, I enjoyed it. Got here. I yeah, enjoyed man. it. It's This is funny because it reminds me, uh, I think it was our most recent uh, Wizard Witch in the Wild one. We didn't really have an intro because I think we were short yeah, for time. Rush, so we just kind of yeah. got, got right into it. Uh, one of the comments um, from Jeffrey Miller was like, uh, the intro was short today. Usually you guys are awkward before you launch into the recap. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad we could return yes. to normalcy for uh, for this episode. Shout yeah, out, Jeff. If you're a first-time viewer of the channel, you may be thinking these guys are pretty weird, and unfortunately, this is the norm. So, yep. <laughs> <laughs> at least at least know. we're self-aware, right? And we embrace it. Yeah, 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 yeah Rocco. Rocco. <laughs> <laughs> um, alrighty, y'all. Well, we'll we'll stop boring you with our our tales of in, or intrigue, but um, quickly before we jump into the usual business here. Uh, Wizard the Witch in the Wild one, like I just mentioned, the penultimate episode of the first arc of that campaign yeah. just released. Uh, Blake and I haven't listened to it yet, but we are excited to. Um, we'll be talking about that uh, later this week, I'm sure. Um, we do. Dagger, oh, I was going to say Daggerheart. Yeah. Um, Daggerheart's going to be a little bit more of a produced episode from us. We haven't. I think Will's probably ready to get to work on it. We know for sure this is going to come out before Will goes out of town uh, on the 28th of this month, presumably, right? I would assume. Yeah, hope, hopefully. Um, a little bit more of a produced video. I've been like really like working hard just to like earn money, like just, you know, feed myself. Yeah, <laughs> so that. I haven't had as much time to um, dedicate to it, but we do have that video in the works. It's also been a bit convenient that we haven't put it out yet because every day there's been more um, yeah. more stories and information around it. So if you've been following Daggerheart a little lightly, we're going to collate all of that. Is collate the right word? I, I don't know. Wait, what word? Sorry. Collate? <laughs> I, I think it's a word. <laughs> also about like our Coalesce? Like, like the same yeah. root word? We're gonna, I don't know. <laughs> like collate means to like put everything together in one place who knows well, like coalesce means that right so wouldn't it coalesce be like the root fancy word for me i don't know <laughs> i'm not saying you be... should be using the word coalesce i just am saying that's like that's like the word you're pulling from i think so well, we're gonna bottom line we're we're getting all that stuff together we're gonna put it together in one single video and then put it out to you guys just so you guys can kind of know um, everything there is to know about it. And then for our viewers who've been giving information in our discord, um, again, thank you for that. Um, we really appreciate you giving your yes, point of thank view. You. Um, so, and then for everyone else, we do just, just, just a reminder, we do have a discord where we do watch parties. We'll be watching critical role together tonight. Uh, everyone is welcome. Whether you are a new time critter, uh, a new time D and -er, or a long time watcher, uh, everybody's welcome. It's at least better than Twitch chat. Um, I don't yeah. know if there's anything else redeemable about it, but and I know we've you know. got some lurkers, so don't be afraid to 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 chime in, jump in. You know, we're not we're not any type of club or anything. Like Blake said, everyone's welcome. It's just fun to chat with uh, like minded folks during the episode. I'm probably the most ignorant critter there is. <laughs> I'm like, wait, who is that again? And people are very kind and um, polite. You know, of course, the guy who helps with the critical role 
D&D channel doesn't know much about the topic, but <laughs> people are very kind and welcoming. And so, uh, yeah, even, whether you're a lurker or whatever, you know, you're welcome to join. Yeah, please do. And um, on the Daggerheart video, like Blake said, we are collating a lot of information. And okay, it, I got to Google this now. And <clears throat> we're specifically aiming for that video to be like, here's what we know. Here are the rules, yada, yada, yada. But if there's anything specific that you would like to see us address in that video, definitely let us know in the comments because we are still kind of putting the pieces together. So would love to have your input. Um, right. I got someone for you. Collate, yeah. verb, to collect and combine like text, information, or sets of figures in proper order. Well, there you go. I knew it was a word. You were right. Perfectly used. Let's go. Okay, let me pull the back of the stream now. <laughs> okay. But, y'all, enough of all of our nonsense. Let's actually get into it. <clears throat> and uh, as always, we are going to start with a recap of the episode, which we cut out host separately for your convenience. So if you find yourself just hey, on that... sorry. Yeah. I wasn't actually ready. Um, can you say everything you just said again <laughs> so that for when I rip this, it's, you know, in one nice, succinct place? Yeah, sure. Are we ready now? <laughs> We're ready now. All right. I'm before... not going to put that in, just so you know. <laughs> that, was, that was more for me, you know? Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so before we jump in to our discussion, we are going to do our recap like always, and we will cut this recap out, host it separately on YouTube for your viewing convenience. And uh, if you find yourself just on that recap video and you're like, man, these guys sure know what they're talking about. I want to hear what their thoughts are on this episode. <laughs> well, you're in luck because it'll be linked down in the description below. Uh, but without further ado, let us jump into episode 68 of campaign three for the Tempest. Okay, so we pick up with the crew still in the Grey Valley inside of this cavern that they are basically hiding in and sleeping in for the night. Chetney decides to check out this sword that he just found, and FCG casts Identify on it. And it is revealed to be Grasschar the Luminary Blade, and it speaks to FCG as they're holding it. Uh, it says they have a great destiny before them, and together they could do great things. The sword also says it was once a great king, but it's been so long, uh, its memory is very foggy, just in general. Uh, it's at this point, FCG passes the sword to Ashton, who does not trust this thing, and it also tells Ashton that they could do great things together, like wash away the corruption and uh, wash away those who seek to undermine the Tal'Dorei Council. Ashton asks, who are your previous owners? And the sword says it's passed through several hands, including a great warrior, a keeper of beasts, and three generations of a singular family before it was auctioned off. Uh, the rest is foggy. FCG then decides to cast Legend Lore on this thing. And it's ultimately revealed that those that wield this blade carry behind it a powerful will and that the light of it is false. The blade does corrode and the metal is that of the prince's will. So the group gleans from this that that's probably a demon prince that it's talking about and fcg kind of lets everyone else know what they learned from this legend lore <clears throat> excuse me but passes the sword back to chetney and chetney's like hmm okay well i'm not gonna attune for it for now but i'll hold on to it the crew then uh goes to sleep for the night imogen has a ruinous dream however uh, first one she's had since she uh, donned that while. circlet. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, so she's back within the red storm and she can see kind of, she's kind of like above a perspective of above and she can see through the clouds down below to hundreds of homes and individuals like moving, living their lives down below. And as she stands there, everyone suddenly turns and faces her, uh, their eyes glowing purple, a deep yearning then fills Imogen and she hears her mother's voice telling her to run away. Uh, Matt has Laura roll a wisdom save and she hits a nat 20. So she kind of flies up in a way through the clouds. <clears throat> and then from this super aerial view, she can kind of see some pockets where the storm is not raging. And in these pockets, she can see mountains and valleys and unfamiliar beasts and wildlife. There's like an entire uh, ecosystem here. She then suddenly feels a presence behind her and it's her mother, like a spiritual projection of her. And she says she wants to project Imogen, uh, protect, excuse me, Imogen more than anything. And Imogen says, well, then why didn't you? Mm. And she says, I am. Imogen then asks, are you the one that teleported us all away at the Malleus Key? And Liliana doesn't think so. Um, but Imogen asks, like, why don't you fight back against this? And she says she needs lewdness just as much as he needs me. And Imogen's like, well, are you setting Pradathos free, like, to kill the gods? And Liliana just responds, you deserve to be free. And then she's kind of pulled away and the dream ends. Um, then while everyone is sleeping, FCG actually uh, casts Commune with the Changebringer. And uh, FCG closes their eyes and Matt describes this really kind of cool, surreal, perpetual twilight scene with like a big shadowed horizon and a long sprawling road ahead. And then some distance, again, perspective is weird, but some distance ahead is the change bringer uh, with her hair like spiraling outward all over this landscape. Um, and FCG gets to ask their questions. So they ask, can the gods help their friends? Yes. Are you worth saving? Of course. Are you scared? And it's at this that the Changebringer leans back and this mountain in the distance behind her just detonates. And then another <laughs> and another. And FCG says, uh, okay, like I'm coming. And then the commune spell ends. So party long rests, morning arrives. Uh, Chetney actually does attune to this sword in the morning. <clears throat> and FCG thinks that'll be fine because worst case is it's like a curse and I can deal with that. So the party's like, okay. No problem. <laughs> yeah. Imogen then tells everyone about her dream and that she now is like emboldened and more sure than ever that she needs, that they need to stop this, that she needs to end her connection to Ruidus. Uh, she wants to help the gods. Um, she also says she does not trust her mom, who is telling them to stay away. And FCG chimes in and fills everybody in on his commune spell and believes that the Changebringer was pointing them to go to Ruidus. So they basically all realize and agree we have to go to the moon right um chetney doesn't oh excuse me uh chetney decides to speak with the sword uh that they're calling chad for now <laughs> and he asks the sword about pradathos lewdness and the matron of ravens uh chad does not know pradathos does remember lewdness and says that he was around even way back in my day um and then with the matron chad is aware that like the matron was one of the prime deities but that's about it um, the party leaves this cavern they've been uh, resting in and they are going to a nearby tree with the plan being Imogen's going to teleport everyone she can and then they're going to tell the Ashari and set up like a tree stride for all the rest of the <clears throat> people they rescued. So as they're doing that, they basically come 
to this new plan because um, somebody says, hey, what if we just put all of the extra people we can't teleport into the portable hole <laughs> and then yeah, teleport? Right. <laughs> and they actually decide to do this. So um, FCG, Laudna, Chetney, and Fern all volunteer to be the ones inside the hole. Imogen teleports and they safely arrive in Zephra without a hitch. So after some quick reunions, the flowers are given to the herbalists and a salve is made and the party then head to Keyleth to get her this ointment. They apply the salve to her and her wounds actually begin to close for the first time. And with that happening, Keyleth grabs some of her own spell components and heals herself. Um, she says, you have my thanks. And she tells Orem, uh, you know, you've done a great job. Thank you so much. We have more to speak about, but first I must address my people. So she gets up, goes to, you know, like the balcony, as it were, and gives the inspiring right. speech. Everyone is very elated to see their leader back on her feet. And the party feels good to have a win. Um, Keyleth honors the fallen Ashari, but also the surviving heroes, Orem among them. Uh, after this speech, the gang heads back inside with Keyleth to her quarters to kind of get her up to speed. And that's where we go to break on the first half. Great job, man. Good stuff. Thank you, sir. Yeah, so um, let me just go ahead and tell you, there's a lot of lore. There's a big yeah. lore drop in this second half. So I'm going to pull up my notes here to make sure that I don't miss anything. Um, so quite a bit happens. Keyleth, she she addresses everyone, like I guess in the town, so to speak. She comes back in and she's basically like, okay, it's time for us to get on the same page for what's next. Um, Keyleth bas basically talks about the state of Exandria and how there have been all sorts of attacks that have been popping up. Uh, Vasselheim in particular has seen many of its temples be attacked and that the city itself is sort of walling itself off, closing itself off to the world at large. Um, meanwhile, many, um, the armies that were intending to have been sent south to, uh, the excavation site are actually being, uh, called back, uh, so that the individual kingdoms aren't, um, uh, vulnerable to further attacks. Um, she also mentions that the attack that they witnessed in the Grey Valley is not surprising and that it seems like many, uh, uh, many various forces are seeing this as like a prime moment to be able to um, take, take their chance, essentially. Um, Imogen talks about the state of Ruidus and her vision and how there's a whole ecosystem there, though Keyleth isn't quite sure of any more information with it. Um, they also talk about how, um, or Keyleth actually mentions that uh, Ludinus has been cited in the Dwindalian Empire and that he's apparently been meeting with King Dwindal, who's been bedridden for a long time, for many years, and that the Cerberus Assembly has sort of been acting um, acting in the place of the king to help run the, the empire. Uh, however, there's also a mention that the Cerberus Assembly, that there's dissent within the ranks, and Orm even wonders if, um, could there be a possibility to connect with whoever is dissenting against lewdness or whatever this massive plan is. Um, it's also around this time that um, Imogen offers to conjure her elemental, the Ray Lauren, uh, so that they can get an idea of maybe what the Ray Lauren knows and um, just show Keyleth firsthand what these Ray Laurens look like. 
So she cast the spell, and this time, whereas before it was kind of like this, uh, I won't say amorphous, like it was like a, kind of like a red spiritual elemental, this now is a more pronounced um, humanoid figure. It seems like with this beam connected to Ruidus that this Ray Lauren is somewhat more present than the previous time that she summoned one. Uh, the party as a whole is fairly surprised, and Imogen actually begins to talk to the Ray Lauren uh, as the Ray Lauren asks, like, hey, I'm at your service. What do you need from me? So like I mentioned, uh, Imogen's surprised that this Ray Lauren is speaking, and so begins to ask questions like, how many of you are there? Like, where are you from? And the Ray Lauren gives somewhat cryptic answers, things like, you know, you know where I'm from. There's as many of us as there's ever been. Um, and even begins asking questions like, um, do you know who I am? Do you know where you are? And um, again, doesn't get much clarity there other than finally asking, what is it that you all want? And she, I think she gets some kind of vision of like, um, like uh, beautiful fields or something to that effect. And what she infers from that is that the Ray Lawrence essentially feel like not necessarily robbed of the experience that all Alexandrians have had, but that they in their prison on Ruidus are at least aware of the life that Alexandrians get to live. Uh, and in fact, I think the Ray Lauren even mentions like we, we know your dreams, like we see your dreams. Um, all that to say, uh, eventually, um, Imogen ends the spell, the Ray, the, the Ray Lauren leaves, and uh, immediately Keyleth is like, okay, we need more allies. If we're going to take on um, whatever's happening on Ruidus, like we're going to need to gather more allies. Um, it's around this time also that Ashton begins to ask Keyleth about, hey, what do you know about the Hishari? You know, you're the leader of the Hishari. Like, what do you know about them? Keyleth t tells a very similar story to what we already know. Um, she adds on to a detail that we didn't know, which was that uh, F. Terran, the leader of the Hishari, uh, apparently got the blessing of Yvonne Trevere, uh, the tree of atrophy, which is a tree that is from a former Gal Drashari that is located on an island within the Shattered Teeth. And then it's kind of like a bit of a myth that F. Terran actually received this blessing. Uh, it's also through this conversation that Ashton's like, okay, well, I was created through whatever ritual Eftaran did, and Keyleth actually holds his hands and begins to do some kind of spell, essentially examining Ashton, uh, and when she opens her eyes, she immediately is blown away by what she describes as a vast, powerful force within Ashton, uh, and even goes on to say that Ashton is a titan of blood, which the party like freaks out over. Really awesome moment. Um, so Ashton is apparently this incredible source of power, and the party basically talks about okay, if we're going to if we're going to eventually go to Ruidus, if we're eventually going to fight Pradathos, maybe even we're going to maybe even need some of this primordial power that's found in Ashton. Um, and so they ask more about this, this tree of atrophy, Yvonne Trevere, and eventually decide, okay, I think we need to go to the Shattered Teeth. Now, remember, the Shattered Teeth is the remains of Dominus, which is where Avalir was in the miniseries Calamity. So chat was freaking out. Um, the players were freaking out about the idea of going to the Shattered Teeth. 
Um, but before they want to do that, they also want to ask Keyleth about this harness that they have from that they took from uh, Molesmere from Ludinus's quarters. And they don't get any too much more insight on it other than Keyleth mentioning, okay, this whole feed the root thing, this reminds me of like a saying in Ashari about how like the core of your being is found at like the base of your neck. And they talk about, okay, there, there's something happening here with this device that Ludinus has been using to presumably um, feed his essence, feed his soul. We're not quite sure. Um, but they decide, okay, if we're going to go team up with the Primordials, if we're going to use their power, or I guess what's left of the Primordials, if we're going to use their power in some way, if we're going to fight Ludinus and Prodathos, we might need to turn this device um, into something that, this harness, into something that we can use, which then leads into a conversation of talking about, okay, well, who do we know that can maybe help us with the device? And they say, well, maybe Dancer could help. Dancer turned FCG back on, so maybe he would know a thing or two. Uh, but then they're like, well, maybe maybe not Dancer. Maybe they should go see D, like D, the automaton who uh, from Campaign Two, who you know if, if, if somehow found FCG before selling uh, them off to Dancer. Well, they're not really quite sure which way to go, and so um, FCG actually casts um, uh, Scry. Uh, and sees D standing on the edge of a coast uh, somewhere. And the party realizes this is actually the Menagerie coast. He also casts Scry on D and sees D passed out in some small dimly lit cottage. So they're kind of like, okay, well, which one should we go to? Well, so then FCG decides that he's going to cast Divination and ask the Changebringer, uh, hey, which person should we go talk to? Then what ensues is about 10 minutes of just pure hijinks because Matt gives, I think it was punishment for Sam Regal <laughs> um, trolling him over the blue paranym flower. But Matt basically says something like, uh, go to the one who gave you life. And so FCG is like, oh, well, that's Dancer. Then everyone else is like, well, no, that'd be D because D found you. And so like, okay, we're obviously not agreeing. So he decides to cast Divination again. <laughs> And he's like, okay, hey, um, so like being more specific, like, so which one should I go to again? And Matt again <laughs> responds with, uh, go to the one that you're more bound to, which they're like, hey, that still kind of feels like that could be either one. Um, table's losing it at this point. And so FGG is finally like, um, all right, fine, I'm casting Divination again. And he's like, just tell me, am I going to Dancer or to D? And Matt says, the road you seek will be the one who, whose name begins with the letter D. Um, <laughs> and basically tells Sam that, hey, every subsequent reading, you're just going to get a, a generic answer like this. Um, all this to say, you should check out our YouTube video on this cut. It's absolutely hilarious. Um, but Imogen does have the idea, hey, why don't I give you the staff? You can attune to it. And then if you want to go to the place you saw in your dream, we can, we can figure that out tomorrow after we sleep. So like, okay, great, that's fine. And they're like, okay, we're let's just go to bed and let's go to the next day. But before they leave, Keyleth, it was almost kind of like a moment of Matt speaking directly to Orum, um, basically bends down and begins to address Orum. And we know that over several episodes that Orum's kind of, I wouldn't say lost his way, but has definitely gotten discouraged and kind of lost um, the strong dad energy yeah. that he's had for the group. And Keyleth really delivers this beautiful monologue of... 
him relying on his friends and not carrying the burden by himself and to basically continue to step into this path of bravery that he's been on from the get-go. And at the end of this speech, actually awards him a new title and says, you are Orem, savior blade of the Tempest, and you are never alone. Um, another amazing moment in this episode. Um, and from there, that is essentially where the episode comes to an end. Uh, episode 68 of Campaign 3 of Critical Role for The Tempest. And again, if you want to see our full thoughts on the episode, you can check out the link below to see our full discussion and also let us know what you thought of the episode as well. Yes, sir. Well done. Well done. Ooh, there was a, a lot, lot to cover in that episode. So thank you guys for bearing with us. Um, Man, where to even begin? There, there were so many <clears throat> different, different like lore bombs this episode. Um, amazing episode. I know we don't really do this segment anymore, but I, I really, <laughs> really enjoyed this one. Um, we're a sucker for lore, so yeah, hundred percent. Back half was like, and then another one. <laughs> you know, here's another detail. Another like, one, yeah. You know, so it totally was. Um. We did get confirmation that uh, this sword was grass char, um, which now that that's out in the open, I don't feel the need to be spoilery about it. Um, but if you want to know more about exactly what that sword can do, definitely check out the video on our channel. Um, you, you can't miss it. It's called like grass char or whatever. Um, I, I was worried for a bit about what might happen when Chetney attuned to that and they were, you know, going back to see Keyleth, but I think he put it in the portable hole like before they yeah. went and then never touched it like at all. So, um, yeah. crisis averted there. Um, but he does seem to plan to at least test it out. He's attuned to it. FCG says, Oh, I can, I can remove curses is basically what FCG said and was like, so this is no big deal. Um, so yeah, no problem, right? Yeah. So I don't what know. Wrong? I'm a, I'm very interested. I mean, I want him to use it because I think that'll make for some very interesting plot oh, yeah. developments and moments. But uh, it does make me a bit nervous. So well, and you do have to wonder. It doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like they're going to be in an opportunity to be around the Taldori Council. Is the Taldori Council like secret or something? Uh, no, no, not really. There was just like a okay. meme in Campaign Two that the oh, cast okay. was like who's on the Taldori council because they wanted to know if like their characters from campaign one were on it. It was like essentially yeah. the joke. Um, but no, it's not like the Shande quorum where it's like anonymous or whatever. I have a really hard time seeing this be in a, like a addressable plot point anytime soon. I mean, they're presumably not going to be around the Taldori council anytime soon. And I mean, well, they I might know. be maybe, I mean, I if know. they're all, we're gathering allies and all meeting up to go to Ruidus, like there could definitely it's be true. some of those people amongst that. Yeah. Army. It, I, I guess that's fair. I mean, I guess Keyleth, you know, when she's going out she's gathering her party before venturing forth, I guess they could end up together again, you know, five to 10 episodes down the road. Yeah. Um, but who knows? But yeah, and even like not like less specifically that one element of the sword that again, for those of you that don't know, it's got like major beef with members of the Taldori Council and wants to 
like take them down essentially. Um, But even aside from like that one element of it, just like what general bad stuff could happen if Chetney wields this because, you know, it has the ability to charm. So it could, you know, even if it's not going to try to like take down Keyleth, it could try to take over Chet and attack another member of Bell's Hells or something. Aren't you charmed for 24 hours too? Did you fail? I don't, don't, I'm not looking at it right now. I think, I don't know the time limit, but I think the way it works is that once you're charmed, if you do like attack your ally, the charm will then end. So, but I mean, still one attack could, could be bad given the right circumstances. uh, Also keep in mind that Chetney has a bit of a double whammy there because he also has um when he gets to a certain point in his health right wisdom saving throws to also lose control so right no one better to take this sword than than chetney yeah yeah so interested to see kind of how this little ball of chaos could develop um but super cool that there, there really wasn't anyone else to take it though either Really just Ashton, which they kind of talked about, but I think we mentioned this. I didn't really see Ashton taking it because of their hammer. Um, But yeah, he was basically the only real choice. Um, So yeah, just cool that 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 this is the sword and we're getting to see it, you know, on screen. Um, And I'm just really curious to see what might play out with it. Yeah. I mean, an incredibly powerful item too. He's a so to powerful. It. So I mean, we're, I mean, we're gonna see it get used. Yeah, I, it's, would, I would presume every session moving forward, for the most part. I mean, I I don't see why Chetney wouldn't willingly use such a powerful item from like a pure like D and D mechanic standpoint. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. The fact that they know exactly what it is basically may may give him some kind of like. Mm-hmm. hesitancy to just like outright use it nonstop from here on out. But right. yeah, it's, I think, I think they mentioned this on stream, but it's plus three, which is just crazy to begin with. Um, yeah, it's bonkers for sure. But then, yeah, uh, again, won't go into the long and the, the long weeds of it here. Check out that other video if you want, but it has the potential to do 10 D six acid damage on a strike. Yeah. Which on yeah, top of all the normal damage it does. Yeah. It's um, insane. Yeah. 10 D six. Jeez. So yeah. excited on, on a for melee that. strike. Yeah. I'm actually going to pull up the uh, stat block while you're talking. Um, uh, yeah. I'm curious. Uh, speaking of just a random aside, um, is this from the uh, Tal'Dorei Reborn source book? Uh, yeah. yeah, it is. Um, Tal'Dorei Reborn got added to D&D Beyond today. Yeah, or yesterday. Did. I, I saw that. By the way, which um, we don't have to spend too much time here on it but um it is interesting there's been a we've we've talked a lot about it there's been a lot of conversation on just various socials about campaign four and like the direction cr is going and even like some more like far farther fetched conjecture that like they're unhappy with with withers of the coast they don't want to work with them anymore in the future all this kind of stuff um but a, a positive note between the two organizations and you know who knows what what is implied from that i'm sure people are definitely going far with it but all that to say um if you are on D beyond you can actually get the source book there and then also on D beyond you can grab specific items 
uh, among other things. Um, so you can actually add Graz to Char to your own campaign if you'd like. Um, but yeah, I'm looking here at the properties, it doesn't list the 10d6. I was really curious about it, but I'm sure I can just look on D&D Beyond, though, too. Where are you looking? Uh, just on the wiki. The CR wiki. Oh, it doesn't, it doesn't have the stat block and stuff there? It has general information, but it doesn't have the... It just says, can do additional acid damage. Oh, step it up, wiki. Yeah, yeah, um, wiki. <clears throat> um, wait, wait. I, I mean, I can actually check the... Uh, on D&D Beyond, too, actually. I mean, you don't need to do it for my benefit. I know what it does, but I just didn't. Well, no, I, I was just curious, and for our for our listeners, too, who might be. Yeah. Well, what are you curious about? I could just tell you. Oh, is it is it 10D6? Yeah. And then is it on... Um, is it... Um, what What's, like, the other rules around when that damage... So, so here's how it works. The sword is a plus three, and it does typically 3D6, like on a normal strike... Uh, but the sword also has the ability to charm. And so if you successfully charm somebody with the sword and then you attack that person, you then get an extra 10 D six. So if you attack somebody okay. with the, if you attack somebody that you charmed with the sword, that's when you get the extra 10 D six. Yeah. Okay. But then you only get it once though, because if you attack somebody that you charmed, the charm will end. Um, but still, <clears throat> so they take the 10 D six and then they're charmed by you. No, they're charmed by you. You attack yeah. them, they take 10d6, and now they're no longer charmed oh, because you attack them. Okay. And then the charm is a wisdom saving throw? I think so. Intelligence saving throw? Let's see. I think yeah. wisdom. Okay. Interesting. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, so... And yeah, on the... Uh, not that... I don't want to like... You know, we don't need to dive into this whole topic. Um, but for the wizards thing, I have to imagine that this was already like baked in whatever mm. deal they had when they first decided to like make this book and release this book you know yeah okay so i think all, I think all that that questioning with the relationship is still obviously there and who knows kind of what it's looking like i just don't think the fact that this released on D beyond necessarily means anything new in that development because i bet it that was already like in the og contract type of thing but I what mean, do i know fair, like, i don't know I mean, yeah i mean to be fair that's conjectured too i, I don't think anyone really knows you know i think um but not maybe this is worth more talking about in another context, but who's to say what happens with campaign four and you know, there's, there's a camp of people who are like, and and I'm not necessarily going to say what I think is that I don't really quite know what I think, but there's a camp of people who are like, Hey, Daggerheart, this is an easy layup. Campaign four is going to be entirely with Daggerheart. It makes total sense money wise. And then there's other people who are like, Hey, five E is their bread and butter. And people love D&D. They love the D&D traditional rule set, so um, there's no way. And then there's other people who are like, they're going to do both. And I'm like, I don't know if that's going to happen, so who who knows? I think it's yeah. all conjecture and none of us really know, honestly. Yeah, and uh, we'll we'll talk about this probably in another video um, for sure. So if that, if that conversation interests you, definitely keep an eye out for that. Because um, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff there. Uh, but moving on, we got a lot to talk about in this episode. Right. Um, yeah. Right. For uh, I don't know why I like took the lead here, but I guess we could move to to Ashton <laughs> unless you had something yeah. specific you wanted to move to. No, no, this is good. Yeah. Okay. Let's so Ashton, Titan of Blood. We basically that's like the big reveal. The quote that I uh like wrote down was when Keyleth was 
inspecting Ashton, if we can call it that, she was like, there's a power I can't recognize and one I seldom feel. So to me, the Titan blood was the seldom feel portion and the can't recognize was the, the dunamancy, the, the Luxon mm. stuff that's going on yeah. in Ashton's brain. Um, did you parse that the same way? I mean, I'm pretty confident in that analysis there, but. Well, yeah. And actually like I had a lot of questions here cause I was like, she's clearly detecting the primordial influences, but we know it's the dunamantic vial that went into to Ashton and so I actually was wondering, like, is there a tie between primordials and dunamancy in some way? Which I don't think that's the case because dunamancy is tied to the Luxon beacon, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think so. Just because, and disclaimer, I could be all wrong with this. So, you know, everyone know that. But the way I understand it is Ashton was, was born. We don't know what Ftaren was terms of race we do, do we? he was uh, he's an elf elf okay then uh the yeah. mom i guess is who we don't know but there's there was some word we about like know. being angelic yeah we don't know the mom yep so you're, she you're might be right. asamar um yeah. all that to say we know ashton is at least half elf but we don't know necessarily what the other half is but in any case ashton was not an earth genasi so right. ashton was born as something and then became earth genasi after this ritual that that right. Ftaren and the hishari did um, so for my money thus far, no Dunamancy involved. Dunamancy only got involved when Milo had to save Ashton's life after the events of, uh, raiding Gianna Hexum when they, mm -hmm. they opened yeah. the, the chest and the, the Dunamancy stuff was in there. So I don't think the primordial stuff and the Dunamancy stuff are related. At least we can't make that connection from Ashton because I think right. primordial stuff and then just so happened to be that Dunamancy got involved later. Yeah. Um, anyway, what exactly is implied though by what Keyleth is saying, especially her later comment on like something like this. It terrifies me. Like it. I mean, you have the voice of the Tempest who wears a vestige. I think she wears. I don't actually know a vestige of divergence. Who's you know, the staff? Thank you. I was thinking it was like a headdress for some reason. <laughs> um. But yeah, it's it's not a light comment to make about a level nine character. Um, what's the implication here? Yeah, so I mean, I, again, for me, if I'm correct in discerning what she meant there, being the pel the power she seldom feels, being the Titan primordial, and the one she's not familiar with being Dunamancy, I think that just combination of things would be what like scares her because one, it's she's like, what is this stuff in your head? First of all. But two, like primordials and titans, like they're supposed to be gone. Like, why do you have that blood in you? Like, especially mm -hmm. being in a shari, I think I think even that one would maybe give her more pause because for Dunamancy, like she doesn't know what it is, so she doesn't. She's not. She's ignorant of what it could even mean, right? But the fact that she was fearful, I think, comes from a place of knowledge, meaning like the titan stuff. Like, how do you have that? Like, um, <clears throat> well, and, and if we can pause it for a second. How how does he have that? How is he the lone, presumably, the lone survivor of this? Is the implication that he was being sacrificed or like was the focus of this ritual in some way? I think it has to be, right? Like that's a, like Occam's razor. It's like it has to be whatever that ritual was. 
that that one obviously transformed Ashton into a Genasi, but two, and these things are directly related, I'm sure, the fact that he has Titan blood. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's more likely the case that like this was the plan to some extent and not like a random side effect of whatever happened. Like, yeah. oh, just but that explosion just so happened to make you now I think like F Terran maybe and maybe it was for himself. Like maybe F Terran was trying to like become whatever, you know, and maybe it just happened to Ashton and like that could kind of be the side effect. But I'm more inclined to believe like this was intentionally right. done to Ashton. Uh, and or uh, like you said, maybe it was like a sacrifice that had to be made. Right. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I, I mean, who knows what the original intentions were, but the results of whatever the heck F. Taron was trying to do is what did this to Ashton for sure. Yeah. I you know another. Go sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. You know, another interesting detail. This is why Ashton's my favorite. This is why Ashton's everyone's favorite, you know, <laughs> is an interesting detail going back to a few episodes ago when Ashton was talking about, um, he was reflecting on their raid of the Dawnfather temple and how upset it made him because, and the phrasing was something like, like my whole life I was like they've ignored me, like they've ignored me. And like here they finally saw me and it just wasn't what he expected. Right. It was, it just made him feel worse. Well, yeah. Hearing this comment about him being of Titan blood. I don't, I don't think necessarily that like the deities, like maybe literally couldn't see him for some reason, but maybe like at his lowest, like he called out to the gods, but they saw that he was of Titan blood or something to that effect. And they were just like, <laughs> like we hate those people. Like and for me, it just makes it more tragic. Yeah. You know, like it, it, I mean, this is, these were the prime deities enemies along with the betrayer gods. And you have, um, you know, you have uh, this person who, if they're of Titan blood, they're representative of your enemy. And it's through no fault of his own. So it's like, not only did you go through this like super scummy ritual that like messed you up, but also like you're forever cursed in a way. Now, fortunately, I think it's going to be a boon to, it's going to be something really beneficial, but all through his life, it's, it kind of has been a curse. Um, I just, I just, you know, he's just a tragic character, man. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, I think there could be something to that of the, not that, not that he was like cloaked from the gods necessarily, right. but that there was some element of, of, you know, them having a, a distaste for Ashton, maybe because of that. Um, totally. And okay. So again, we don't know the, the initial intentions or desired outcome of if but again, we know the results and we know that if was, was said to have, have some sort of power or had found some power, um, he was, yeah, he was said from Havestro, he was described as having located an artifact of power, which to me, I'm thinking it might be the remains or the location of an ancient primordial, because we also know from Ludinus's notes that there was like a secret primordial that didn't right. get wiped out in the, in the, uh, 
the war with the gods. So like <clears throat> maybe this is the the same one and F. Taren having found this and of course it presumably being a big believer in the whole Idolan side of things was like let's either resurrect this thing or if not that like attune to its power or attain the remnants of its power whatever the the sauce the flavor packet of that was but then it ultimately ended in what we know was this catastrophic event and now we have ashton so <clears throat> i don't i don't know like what to make of it in terms of does that mean ashton is like a a reincarnated Titan in, in Earth Genasi form, sort of, or is it more like he's just imbued with that power because they were like messing with that? Um, I don't know, so many questions. And then that's even before you throw the entire wrench into it of the Dunamancy, which is right. so interesting because, in and of itself, of that being a, a crazy concoction, just the fact of what Dunamantic magic is, right? Being like the infinite possibilities, um, right. I know I'm like, I'm not really like driving this to a, a clear stopping point to here, but I'm just so interested in what this might unfold into. Um, yeah. Especially no, right. if there is some sort of relation between the two. I don't think there is. Um, but yeah. Presumably there's still the artifact out there. Maybe not presumably, maybe it was consumed in the ritual. Um, but they're also, we know F. Terran was, according to Keyleth, that it was the stories were told of him having been blessed by Yvonne Trevere. Yeah, um, the he, tree cl- of, yeah he claimed to be have been. Right, the Tree of Atrophy. So could he have acquired this artifact from Yvonne Trevere? And if so, why was it given to him? And more importantly, is there's something similar that the party could then receive upon heading to the shattered teeth and go into the tree themselves. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I don't, I don't really know what to make of F Taren because like my, my initial reaction was that, Oh, that was just like his charlatan ways. Like he just said that to help like garner right. followers. But right. that being said, we know, he, we know there was some truth to whatever it is he was spouting because Ashton, you know, like it's not like he was just pure BS because right. Ashton has Titan blood in him. So maybe he did get something from Yvonne Trevere. Um, <clears throat> but let, let's talk about that because this tree mm-hmm. is the shat- in the shattered teeth, which is, you know, Dominus or dominant or whatever. Dominus, 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 Dominus. I think. Um, do you think this tree is the tree of names like it the tree of names became this or is it related at all so we talked a lot about um i'm just pulling up some notes that i have here we talked a lot about um this in the discord by the way guys like when we were reacting like i think everyone was freaking out (laughs) um and there seemed to have been a detail that made it seem like okay probably not the tree of names um we know just pure facts that it is the tree is like the one that we found in uh, Asilra or the, the obelisk, excuse me, mm-hmm. like uh, Omadua. Yeah. Omadua. 
we know this tree was a um, Gaudrashari that formed the tree uh, on one of the islands of the Shattered Teeth. So it, it, it would have have to have happened after Well, we don't know calamity. that. Well, what do you mean? It, well, we know that formed? we know that it was a Gaudrashari, like, like that's how these things are formed, both Amadua and Ivantravir. And Keyleth mentioned that's probably what's going to happen to her eventually too. Is that like powerful druids can like become these fanes of power, if you will, and like become trees essentially. So we know that, but we don't know that it was only made after the calamity I mean, that it was I'm made just, on the shattered well, teeth. I didn't say after the calamity. I was saying after the calamity started. Um, because Dominus was like literally shattered into right. a bunch of islands. I, I don't know. I feel like the fact that the tree made it through, I'm like, mm, I don't know, which I, I feel like the implication there is that it was created at least after the initial destruction of Dominus. But I, I'll, I'll agree with you. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be that. Yeah, like um, I'm not planting my flag in the ground and saying that this is the case, but I do think it's there's nothing that excludes it from potentially being the tree of names right. because from what we know about these these trees, if I could just what we know about Omadua and Avantravir and these these druidic trees, I think the tree of names was one of those. If even if Avantravir is not the tree of names, I still think the tree of names was a Gaudrashari. And that's because we know that the Gaudrashari are the ones who made it for right. Avalir. Unless it's a retcon or or an, a, a detail that was left out that Matt added on, we know that Brennan, when he described the vision, the druid, he described it as like summoning and create, not summoning, but like apparating, creating the tree. So could this then have been that process of that particular Gaudrasari becoming the tree of names? It, it could be, but if it uh -oh. is that, I feel like it's more of a retcon or just something separate. Hello? Yeah. Sorry. You, you froze for a second, but then like the audio caught up. So I think we're good now. Oh, okay. Um, I do think it's entirely possible that, that that's the case. I mean, I feel like that's how like the the collaborative world building between two DMs like Matt and Brennan would work. Like, I don't think that's necessarily, and then I know you weren't saying this, but I don't think that that's like cheapened or like retconny. You know, I think that could just be, I don't have a Matt utilizing something that was established yeah. and then building on it. Well, it, well it. and then also it, if it is the case, again, it doesn't, it doesn't contradict. It just, right. I'm saying that the evidence that we have from Calamity isn't enough for me to for sure say it is. Right, yeah. Because totally. of how Brendan described its creation. But Totally. And I, I, I don't remember well enough that scene um, to really speak on it, to be honest. was. Do you remember, like, why did that information come out? Like, who was being told that? Or, like, how did that... Um, I don't... I think it's in episode three at the end when Marisha is casting legend lore on the tree, okay. like has grabbed the tree and is, is getting like the his, the influx of memories yeah. as to how the tree came about, Okay, uh, which a nice little potential detail that would support this theory would be that she got visions of things before the tree actually was created 
which how would a tree how would you see these things um which if the tree was in fact a combined essence of maybe the Galdrashar we saw in Calamity, it would make sense that those memories would be involved. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so yeah, what, again, not that the, not that it is the same tree that we're talking about here, but I have to think with what we know now that the tree of names was a Galdrashari because of how powerful it is and like what purpose it served. I feel like it makes kind of sense thematically to like, like, you know, one of them had to maybe sacrifice themselves to create this thing. Not that maybe it shouldn't be looked at like a sacrifice. Um, but it, it, again, not that I'm all on board with this, but let's just assume it is. Maybe the events it, of the calamity could have been what kind of transformed it from. Right. Well, one, maybe people like no one was around to tell you like, oh, that's the tree of names. Right. You know, and so like maybe that kind of got lost in the in the sauce of the calamity um, and it became the tree of atrophy because it was so like destroyed and warped to, because of the events that happened. Um, and somebody else pointed this out, but like Laren cast blight on the tree. So like atrophy kind of blight like that could be like the transformation. Uh, and then again, I'm sorry, I can't give credit here. I think it was like a Tumblr post or somebody that or something that somebody shared, but um, if Bontrevere, the same first few letters as Evandrin, which we know that like Evandrin's spirit was kind of like locked in the, in the space between dimensions because of the, the trees effect. Yeah. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't really subscribe to the fact that like the tree is Evandrin, but I, I did think that was an interesting connection. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know Evandrin's in the astral sea, or that's the last right. we saw, we saw him. Um, and then the other, the only other, let me be clear. I'm all for it being the tree of names. Like, give me that calamity Easter egg. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm using that word right, but <laughs> you know, give it to me. I'm all here for it. Shoot it up into my veins. Let's, <laughs> let's do a little arc in Avalier. I'm all about it. Um, but we also know, again, it could be retcon, which is totally fine. <clears throat> but we also know that after the tree was blighted, that it also was sundered. It was split up its trunk uh, when uh, Asmodeus entered uh, our a- world. Atrophy, some might say. Could be, could be. <laughs> if in, and you know what? If next episode they're there and Matt describes like a fissure up its trunk, I'm gonna flip out. You know. <laughs> but anyway, who knows? I mean, then again, what are the odds of there being two big trees in one area? So. I don't know. Yeah, it I'm it's super interesting regardless of the case. And um really cool detail that I, I don't think we knew prior to this most recent episode, but was the fact that like the remnants of Raishan and Kamort like uh, like are in that area, which causes like weird magic stuff to be going down. I um, think I missed that detail. What are you talking about? <clears throat> So like the the shattered teeth when Matt was like describing this this whole situation, um, again because of the events of calamity where we know those two primordials Raishan and Kamort were like atomized basically. Right. Yeah. Uh, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong because now I'm not confident in my own recollection here, but I believe Matt said something about like because of that, the like the atmosphere, if you will, like that place in the world is like soaked in that primordial. Mm. blood mist 
if you will. He said something like this because he he used the word atomized, but he he said something about them that in my head was like the because there, there's also been like dialogue around like were they really gone like were they really destroyed i mean brennan said they were destroyed but were they really and matt said something in this episode that confirmed me i was like okay they are they did get obliterated so you you're pulling on a memory of something that was said i just i don't honestly don't remember it well enough to remember the details around it yeah so i think i think it was also like kind of that was sort of a segue into Ashton maybe getting answers there as well, because like that area is so like infused with that type of stuff. So like maybe yeah. somebody there could help them or maybe he was referring to the, the tree itself. I don't really remember. Um, yeah. Whatever. I may be butchering it, but whatever it was, there was something like that. So I'm very interested to kind of see what's going on there. Um, I will say the whole talk of going to the shattered teeth was really exciting for me because it's it's i've loved campaign three i've adored campaign three it's probably the first time that i have felt like a sense of we have a quest like we have a quest to go retrieve potentially like a magical item that we're going to then use to fight this great evil on ruidas um, and not that there haven't been quests in the campaign so far. I mean, they've, they've had a direction, like we're going to go to Bosserus, we're going to go do this. We're going to go after Armand Treshi, you know, and it's, it's taken them, you know, where we are now, but, um, this hit like a note of high fantasy for me of like, you know, you need the master sword before you go take on Ganon <laughs> that I, I really, I really, um, enjoyed. So I love the thought of them going and doing this. Nice. Yeah, I uh I I didn't like have that same thought, I guess, but I I could see that. And I uh I mean that that they haven't gone there yet, but that given the events of where they landed at the end of last episode, that seems to be the next move. Is they're going to um Well, I guess maybe not the guess- next move because they might right. go try to find D first, but it definitely seems like they're planning on going there. Or dancer you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, which I want to talk about that, um, which we can move to that. Um, okay. but, uh, lost my train of thought, but yeah, I'm, I'm, and I, I, this is totally like a perspective opinion thing, so I'm not fighting you on it. Um, but yeah, I, uh, to me, it's not like their first real quest or anything, but I'm very, very excited for this, this arc. If, if I don't know if that's a good word for it, but, um, sure this leg of the journey uh, just because it does feel like we're going to get some, if not answers, some real direction towards some on both Ashton, which is fascinating and kind of this grander overarching mystery, if I can call it that of like kind of what's going on with the gods and the, mm-hmm. and, and these powerful forces at play here. I'm curious if, and I know I'm jumping here, but like, I'm I'm really jumping here. We we know we already knew that lewdness was ancient. Like we already we already knew that. We got another piece of confirmation about it from the sword who knew of lewdness. Um <clears throat> to bring this back around here, I'm curious what role lewdness had to play in these certain events. Like has he been orchestrating long enough that some of these events are also connected to him in various ways? Or not necessarily, because I don't think that has to be the case. I don't think he has to be like secretly involved in every big thing that's happened since the calamity. But he at least is capable of having been involved. Um, to like, could he have been what connected 
if Taryn with Yvonne Trevere for whatever reason, I, I'm leaning no. Um, but the fact that he knew about this uh, hidden primordial and uh, I don't know, I'm kind of rambling here. And I didn't. I want to go to D and Dancer, but that all those well, thoughts kind of came to I me. Mean, in there. I'll just say there there is some kind of link to the primordials and lewdness. We we know that's the case because his journal talks about it. So right. why why is he so interested in this hidden primordial? Like what's happening there? We really don't know. But I I think you know what you call rambling. I think I think there is like a loose connection with these things. Um, is it as pronounced as like F Terran and Ludinus knew each other? Is it as some people have said that they are the same person? I don't, I don't think that's the case, but I do think there is a, a primordial, um, role that has off branch to F Terran's thing to Ludinus thing. Like there's something happening here, whether that's like a, whether that's like a singular entity or just something in general. I don't know, but so I, I see where you're coming from with that. Yeah. Very interesting. Oh, one, one small piece just while we're here is that we did get confirmation that this harness is, which we already knew, but like is specifically trying to emulate druidic magic, basically like trying to emulate kind of what the Gaudrashari and people like Keyleth can do to prolong their life. So I think there's just, the fact that Ludinus figured that out and was researching all of that stuff, it really seems to fall in line that he would have known about the Gaujashari's ability to like become these trees. And so maybe that right. could have also been another like point on the on the board of these things being connected. Um I'm coincidentally, I'm so interested that he doesn't need it anymore. Yeah, I can like, I mean why did he leave it in Molesmere? Keyleth made some comment about it being broken, which I, that's the whole, that, this is a nice segue, I guess. Cause that's how we led into the whole D versus Dan. Like, let's look, let's get somebody to look at this thing. Yeah. So I think that's why it was left behind. But so I guess the question is, did he make a new version? Like, is there 2.0 that he's currently wearing or did he find a new way to prolong his life? Also, I will say not, not that, you know, don't want to give myself too much credit here because this is not a good call or anything. But when we were last talking about this thing, I was like, the fact that it connects into his neck, maybe that's a weak point. And Matt basically spelled that out this episode. So, you know, every once in a while. <laughs> I, when you said that, I was like, we already know that. But then I think maybe I was maybe pulling on you saying that is why I was thinking that then. I like how so, uh, that makes sense. I don't know if. I couldn't tell if it was a joke, but I think it was real. But like Sam said, Marisha like had written in her notebook, like all flowery, like cut off his head or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah. So for my money, I bet he has a 2.0. Yeah. They need to take a close look at him to see if he has any like leathers he's hiding under his clothes. Yeah. You know, so. Um, All right, or but... it could be, uh, I, I will say who's to say that the device Autohan uses isn't some variation of it either. Yeah. I... Her life is extended, but she's, she also has some kind of device that seems to involve like maybe lewdness when he discovered Deutomantic magic, it was like, Hey, actually I don't need the Druidic magic anymore. This is better. This is a one up. And so I don't know. Yeah, it is. Inter there, there seems to be, some connection um because they're both like <laughs> devices you wear that empower you 
Uh, but I do think it's a there's a there's a long stretch between like prolonging your life to like getting Echo Knight Dunamantic abilities, which is seemingly right. what Odahan's does. So I don't think they're like I don't think whatever Odahan is wearing is 2.0, and that it's like also making her live a long life. I think it's I think its purpose is those abilities, and it's not helping her be immortal. But that's not to say that they weren't like maybe Ludinus invented both. Like I think that could kind of be the connection. Um, but yeah, very interesting for sure. And we, I mean, it just also calls into question, like we know Ludinus is ancient and very powerful, but like what else maybe is he capable of that we aren't aware of? Like, and maybe Odahan got the backpack on her own somehow. Like maybe that backpack is not tied to Ludinus at all, but if it is, what might he have? If that's like what a lesser has, you know? Well, and also what's he been planning? Like, I mean, it doesn't seem like this is something like a like what we're seeing is like his plan from the last 10 years realized. It seems like he's been working on this for like hundreds of years. Yeah. And I'm even thinking about did we ever get any confirmation on like what all of the um uh like the trafficking of all the dunamantic liquids and all the supplies and stuff like was that being put into the Malleus keys or I think it like, was related like I think okay. that's the connection we're supposed to make, but I don't I don't think we ever got like an explicit like oh here's where they were using that dunamancy. Um yeah. but yeah, okay. for my for my money it was related okay. to the Malleus key and stuff. Yeah, okay. Um and then him being in the Dwindalian Empire, so I guess he can just come and go from Ruidus now? Yeah, so remind me when we were when that was mentioned. Well, cuz Keyleth mentioned um, when they were first chatting that Ludinus had been spotted in the Dwindalian empire chatting with. That's right. Now, I mean, the party was separated for two weeks, essentially. Yeah. So, it so it could, could have been be like that. he was there and then went to Ruidus. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It, you know, he is the leader of the Cerberus assembly. So like, I'm curious to know like what we, we talked about this, I think in our last episode about like what the world at large knew, and they know enough to be sending armies and stuff, but like, do people know that that Ludinus is like primary suspect number one? Because if he's able to still just walk freely through the Dwindalian Empire, we also know that he's sending out these like messages that the party saw in the fountain yeah. that was like his hologram yeah. speaking. So, and I, I don't know, maybe he still is just connected enough to not. Yeah, I don't and, know. Maybe. And, yeah. and, and was it the correct? understanding that the armies are being called back to their respective kingdoms. I think, yeah, I think there was some line about that. I don't remember though. What was the role? Uh, like help me since you've seen campaign two, King dwindle dwindle. Mm. Like, is this a character we've seen before? Is there anything from your CR two background that informs like why they would be meeting? Yeah, so like he's the king, the sovereign of that part of the world. And the Cerberus Assembly is like, in terms of power structure, under the king. But like everyone basically knows that like they're really the ones calling the shots. It's kind of like the the realistic structure of it. Um, and so he's almost like a figurehead, I guess. But not like intentionally. That's just like kind of what's happened. Um, yeah, okay. So I would say that, you know lewdness and the Cerberus assembly are kind of the real movers and shakers and power players. But 
as far as what that it's not as if King Dwindle thinks that, you know, um, <clears throat> but yeah, wasn't there some comment about like he hadn't been seen in a while or he might be sick or something or am I making that bedridden for a long time? Yeah. So like, I, who knows if he's even still alive, you know, but, um, but yeah, I'm curious. I mean, I guess because of who he is and how powerful Ludinus is, he could probably clearly go wherever he wants. It's not like he's going to get like shanked in the street. Uh, so it makes sense that he could have gone to the empire and spoken with the king. Um, but I'm curious just what the world at large thinks about him right now. Like, do they not? Are they like, we got to stop this guy. He's bringing the yeah. moon down. Or do they maybe not really know? Maybe their hands are full. I mean, we know there's attacks everywhere. Like Vasselheim, like walling itself in. It was very, yeah. um, uh, reminded me of that movie, um, the zombie movie where, um, Israel's like the one country that like survives. Uh, you know what I'm talking about with Brad Pitt? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. World War Z. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we gave a little vibes of that, but I mean, like presumably Vaseline would be most interested in stopping lewdness and doesn't seem like it's able to, it seems like it's under, um, an attack. Um, and I think that maybe this is a previous campaign detail, but, but it flew over my head. Like, I think Keyleth even said that like Vasselheim had been like sacked before or had been attacked before or something or. Yeah, there's a, <clears throat> there was speaking of primordial Titans, there was like a resurrected Titan that was like moving on Vasselheim in campaign one. Um, so I think that's what that was referring to. Um, but yeah, that, they who knows what what their plan is because we know that they were trying to hide all this information you know previous but it seems like if they knew that Pradathos was like literally being released then they would be one of the most motivated to do something about it so right i'm curious what what whoever's in charge there knows and like what their plan is yeah very interesting um, Ruidus and the Raylora the discovery of like a whole ecosystem um, kind of interesting because I was wondering like well if these people have been locked away here like what have they been doing all this time and it yeah. seems like maybe just living life you know as best they can yeah so like uh, again I'm not I, I don't feel like 100% confirmation here but I feel like the pieces we did learn kind of reinforced my current beliefs of like the, the Ray Laura potentially have be, been Exandrians, the Tishtan culture maybe. Um, Cause we know that Rudis was created from a part of Exandria. So presumably just whatever animals and whatever was on that chunk of rock would then, you know, have evolved since. Uh, but it definitely it definitely painted a picture of like a lot bigger of a society than I was imagining. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, very very interesting. Um, but yeah, it again it might might not be literally the Tishtan, but I feel like that's got to be the the yeah the explanation the for, for those organisms for sure. um, or clearest clearest explanation for sure. Yeah, which we got a video on that if you're curious about what we're talking about. Um, but yeah, I uh, still wonder what Ira's up to as well. Maybe we'll get some. Yeah. Maybe maybe we won't get any insight there. Well, I guess they could message him, so maybe they will. Uh, but if not, until we go to Rudis, probably won't be hearing from Ira. 
Um, <clears throat> okay, now to, to kind of segue where I lied and said we were going to like 10 minutes ago, this dancer versus Devexian thing. Yeah. When I was watching the episode, I was team dancer. But but since then I've converted. I'm team Devexian in into who Matt was referring to. So I think he was referring to D. So I think that if that is still their plan, I think they're on the right track. Did you have yeah, a I what did you think? I, I thought it was D. But then it was funny just seeing the play, the players. I mean, there was like a stark difference of like, well, no, it has to be. I think maybe Sam and then like maybe Laura was like, I'm pretty sure Matt's saying this. And so um, it is interesting. Uh, I guess it could be either. Like maybe Matt's even just like softballing, like, yeah, whichever one you want to go to. Yeah. Um, I have to think it's it's D. It's Devexian for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think that also facilitates a more, again, it doesn't matter. I mean, they can do whatever they want, but I think for me, it would facilitate a more interesting story to kind of figure out like what's right. D's motive, like what's happening, like what's happening now in spite of like all the craziness that's happening in the world. Um, and like what could FCG potentially learn more about themselves also? So um, I'm team D for sure. Yeah, uh, I'm with you there. I do. Th I think there's interesting story th threads for for both because I do think there's some kind of unfinished business with Dancer, but I don't necessarily think that's going to lead anywhere. It's more of just like closing that chapter and like getting not necessarily forgiveness for FCG, but um, but yeah, I'm with you that uh, the vaccine could lead to some very interesting things. Um, I I can see us never revisiting. Um dancer either we know the last interaction beyond the um beyond the uh th not thread but just dancer being like don't ever call me again i think fcg had sent a message that said something like i'm sorry for what happened or something like that and didn't get a response back so yeah. you know i would be okay with them never revisiting with dan and this, i wouldn't feel like something was missed necessarily mm -hmm it feels like there's more opportunity for story. You know, we've been learning a little bit more about FCG little by little. Um, so there could be a much bigger catalyst um, in meeting D. So, yeah, Though we still don't know what's going on with the bird chasing him. I haven't seen that in a while. Yeah. So anyway, very curious about that. I don't think it's necessarily tied to what's going on right now, but very, very curious about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's lutinous. <clears throat> I mean, what? who knows? <laughs> Given the weird Frida connections to things too, who who knows what's going on with that bird? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I'm with you. I think it's D, especially because the line about like the one that gave you life, because it was definitely D that did that. Dancer then you know repurposed FCG and and got them running, but Devexian was the one that like pulled FCG out of the ruck right. wreckage and literally like got them right. back online originally. Right. Um, so yeah, I guess there's not too much more to say there. Presumably they're heading to D, but who knows what could happen um, tonight. Um, I'm just going over my notes here. Anything, any big things you still wanted to hit on? Uh, I was just looking a second ago and I didn't see anything. I don't think so. Um, <clears throat> I, th I feel like it was interesting. It's just a small detail. Um, I thought it was interesting that we kind of got confirmation again. We already did before, but it seems like the party maybe kind of forgot 
that Liliana is not like a prisoner of lewdness. That, yeah. You know, like, hey, we're doing this is what she wants to do. But I did think it was interesting. Um, we got kind of like a a decision from Imogen. Like we've had previous scenes where she's been like, yeah, I, I like the power. You know, there was some unsteadiness within the party of what she might want to do, and she was like. I want to end this. I want to end this connection, um, which I thought that was a really interesting character moment. Yeah. Um, I would say even like an under, oh, it's not underserved is not the right word. Like, I feel like if people weren't paying attention, they could have just moved on past that. But that was a yeah. really important moment for her character to be yeah. like, this is what I want. Yeah. And she said, I want to save the gods, which like aside from FCG, really no one has taken a hard stance on that still. Um, yeah. So yeah, you're right. I'm glad you brought that up definitely a big moment so i'm i'm interested to see what what could happen with like the aftermath and at that point we're like at the end of the campaign more or less but like if ruidus or Pradathos is dealt with like what happens to these ruidus borns like does she lose all of her powers um and i'm curious like if that if that is the case and maybe even like is stripped of the power before like maybe let's just say before Pradathos is dealt with if like somehow it's it's realized that this powerful Rodasporn is going against him maybe the powers are stripped away like I will no longer empower you to fight against me type of thing uh, there's been precedent for this in previous campaigns of like going against your source of power um, what might she do and an interesting kind of turnaround could be like well maybe one of the prime deities who she's now determined to save could like give her power um, and this is like a super long stretch, but like, what if she instead like started pulling her power still from Predathos, but it was like from Ethodoc or Vordo that there was like still some remnant of them in there. You know, I think that would be really cool. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. But I, I really I, don't like see that happening necessarily, yeah. but it would be cool. Yeah. I am wondering like what's happening over there. Like on Ruidus, like is, they're coming up to maybe like, three weeks i don't know the timeline honestly i need to try to find if someone's like put it together but i think it's been like three weeks after the apache solstice moment um so obviously like the story is kind of serving this explanation that Pradathus hasn't woken up yet but i'm also like curious in hindsight like how matt is sort of like making all this work with the story um yeah i mean so. Our our story reasons presumably are because of like the damage Bell's Hells did to those right. power devices. Like that's why this hasn't happened yet. Um yeah. so it's it makes you wonder like what could have happened, like if they mm. had failed more there. Uh and then obviously this is all just kind of the strings of the DM kind of making things fit the story. So like, you know. Right. Um <clears throat> but I'm with you. And I'm also curious, like, what is Predathos? Is 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 it like an entity in the center of Ruidus that's sleeping? Because yeah. like it doesn't seem to be like an entity that's walking Ruidus. Because there's been no right. like descript. I mean, maybe we haven't seen it, but like we've we've seen Ruidus a lot, and there's no like Im implication of some divine being that's there. Right. Um, so is it like literally trapped on Ruidus, or is Ruidus just like its chains that once it's dealt with, then Pradathos like enters from Ooh. the abyss as it were you know type of thing we we got a detail last episode the one before that was very literally um Pradathos is is still sleeping like hasn't okay. woken up yet so 
whether he's like in the core of Ruidus or there's like a really big bed within a temple somewhere. Yeah. You know, who knows? So I'm uh we know it's like it creates twisted life forms and it like is alien yeah. is how it's been described. But yeah. I'm so curious if like similar to the other gods, they can take like a humanoid form. Like what if we got to like speak to Pradathos and he was like this charismatic, like it turned us all against the gods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I don't see that happening because it seems more like monstrous than that. Um, but yeah, just, yeah, who knows? Curious to see. All right. Well, I just checked. That's all of my notes. Yeah, that's um, pretty much all of mine too. Uh, I don't, I, you mentioned it in the recap, obviously. I don't know if we touched on it at all, um, but save your blade of the tempest. I'm glad Orum finally kind of got like a win. Yeah. And some, yeah. some of his faith restored. Yeah, and for sure. Badass title. Oh yeah. Um, let us know what you guys saw the episode. What happens next? Where are they going to go? And um, where you see the story maybe even going. So we got our next episode tonight. So not much time to wait. And don't forget, we have the Discord that you're welcome to join and yeah. chat with us. Come hang out with us tonight episode. for uh, episode yeah. 69. Hey. Someone so, told me like this has always been a cursed episode in like the previous two campaigns. Yeah, some some stuff has happened in the previous episode 69s. So Okay. <laughs> <laughs> which is just coincidence you know it's not as if matt is like yes tonight we'll see um, yeah we'll see but who knows you know fate maybe has something in store for us tonight too yeah um but yeah come hang out with us in the discord um we're on instagram we're on tiktok we're on all the places check us out appreciate it if you you know smash that like button uh <laughs> we were talking about that earlier today um but yeah any uh anything else Alrighty, y'all. Well, until next time.